are. It is time for Pet Chat. It is wonderful to have your company as always. If you have any questions today, 49216216, we'll get the number out nice and early. Daniel Carrington. Hello. I'm oh, back. Be that time of the month, you're back. <laughs> and I'm here to talk about a pet hate. Oh, Pardon the pun. Oh, dad <laughs> jokes. I suppose we'll give you that. It's Father's Day on Sunday. <laughs> so we'll, we'll let you get away with that. And uh, Dr. Paul, welcome back. Thank you very much, Sarah. Oh, it's so good to have you as oh, well. Oh, thank you. I feel very special. And what are we chatting about today, if time permits? Well, being the, the father of a new baby, we're going to talk about how to train your puppy. Oh, my goodness. I've had a few friends that have new pups and they say it's like a newborn all over again. <laughs> I wouldn't do it twice. And then I say, you just can't remember how bad it was yeah. with the That's newborn, right. surely. Hello, we're talking pet chat four nine two one six two one six. Now we've got Daniel Carrington in, and we're going to catch up with our animal behavioralist in just a couple of minutes, uh, Julie Talladay. We haven't had her on for a while. We haven't, and uh, yes, so we'll talk to her again. Another topic about pubs, but even adult dogs. Pups or dogs that jump all over you. Oh, that's annoying, isn't it? I told you, it's my pet hate. Yeah, yes. <laughs> pulls it out again. Um, yeah, so we're going to find out how mm. we can sort of stop this behaviour. Yeah. But Daniel Carrington, you, you're going to uh, have a little bit of a chat about undesirable behaviour in our dogs and particularly yes. dogs that jump all over you. So, yes, let's really fine-tune into this topic with Julie Tolliday from Barkers in Balance and talk about, yeah, how to work with your dog if you're um, a puppy even or an adult dog to stop it jumping all over you or your visitors, your visitors that come in your house, you know. Mm. And uh, as I said, it's my pet hate, third time. It is a pet hate, um, yes. But people say, oh, you should be used to it. You're in the pet industry. And yes, I am. But I think that's why it gets annoying because it just happens all the time. And then you might be wearing something really nice. Green and pants. it's like, oh, oh, yeah, white shit. shirt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. So, Julie, thank you for joining us on the show. So, tell us what we need to do. Okay. I'm going to start with the front door. So people come to the front door, the dog runs up and answers the door for you, jumps on its back legs, and you try to open the door and say to the people, just ignore her. Like, that really works, doesn't it? (laughs) So what I want you to do is to keep a lead at the front door and maybe a box of treats. And before you open that door, just put the dog on the lead and say to the people, I'm just getting the dog ready, and then position yourself between the dog and the people. Facing the people, of course. So you're just going to block your dog off. Now, I've seen little fluffies nearly die of shock when their owner first does this. They stop barking. They stop jumping. They can't believe what's just happened. Blocking is a natural behaviour in dogs. Mm. Cutting off the space for each other. So do it to your dog. Okay, so now you've got the dog on the lead and you're going to invite the people in. You're going to say to the people, just ignore and just walk through to the lounge room. I My theory is that because the dog's on the lead, the people are going to be less inclined to override you and go, oh, don't be silly. I've known Fluffy since he was eight weeks old. If you've got the dog on the lead, you look more serious. Yes. Okay, That's so a good point. Yes. Take the dog into the lounge room. If you like, drop a few treats on the floor as the person goes past because maybe your dog's a little bit anxious <laughs> about the person coming in the house anyway. Um and and they learn that a person coming into the house is a good thing. In fact, treats fall out of the sky. When the you know, that kind of stuff would work for me if, you know, chocolates were just dropped along the way. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I often compare it to that. So, then so it's got to work like, for the pet, hasn't it? It's well, got to work for the dog. I actually thought Julie meant the treats at the front door were for you, not the dogs, but I'm with you now. So. <laughs> oh, well, actually, you could treat the guests if 
they ignore the dog. Yep. Oh, that's a good yes. plan. Give them a chocolate if they ignore the dog. <laughs> that's a good so, plan. So we block. So we physically block them off with our body. Is that? Yes. We, we, yes. Okay. Just stand in front of them. If you can picture a front door, it's usually got like panels on either side. And you can even shoulder up to the panel. You just hold the lead behind the ear. You don't pull them. Mm. You just get in the way. And the dog goes, oh, all right then. You and, must be in charge of the door. And at the same time, educate the visitor. Do not greet my dog yet. Yeah, just leave the dog. Now, okay. if you do this as a constant practice, the dog will start sitting down and just waiting while you mm. greet the visitor. Well, what a great moment to drop a treat on the floor and go, nice, quiet, sitting, waiting behaviour. I'd like more of that. Yes, so, so that you, as you work on it, when you get into the lounge room, you're going to take the dog to a spot where their mat is and where they've been practicing being tethered on their mat mm. be, at, at times when there is no one there. Like, do it quietly first. Tether the dog at the mat and sit and have a glass of wine, watch the telly, and when the dog gives you a behaviour like sitting or lying down or being quiet, you can give them a little treat to say, nice, calm behaviour. Nice lying down, nice sitting. Then when the visitors come and you take the dog to that tether spot, they're more used to it, the, the dog, not yes. yes. Do and you verbally say, you know, good dog as well or not, just that you say it by giving the treat? Oh, you, you can give a, a verbalisation. Okay. Word. Um, so, yeah, you can give a, a, a verbal, a good dog or a yes or something. And, and, and Julie, then, that's probably an important question, is that not, not all dogs are treat motivated. So, um, as Julie said, using the treats and the voice, because sometimes dogs, like working dogs, won't actually respond to food if they're too excited. And so often using a voice is a really good idea, or even their favorite toy, you could squeak their toy. Um, Again, they're getting the motivation and the praise for doing the right behavior, but not all dogs will jump for that treat. Their motivations can sometimes be different. Okay. Yeah, good point. Very good point, Paul. Okay, so then what do we do? So then the people are itching to pat your dog. So you say, okay, you can go over and pat him. He's calmed down a bit, but he's still tethered. Right. They go over to pat the dog and he jumps. They turn their back. Mm. And the dog gets nothing. He gets their backside. Okay. So they, they turn around and have another go to pat. And if the dog jumps, they turn their back. After a while, the dog goes, my jumping isn't working. It's not getting me what I want. They will probably offer an alternate behavior, which will be to stay sitting and the person can give them a little pat. What I like about your method is it's to do with more positive reinforcement yeah. rather than yelling and growling oh, and all that kind yes. of stuff with the dog. Yes. Yes, because I think when you yell and growl, the dog thinks you're just joining in with the vocal party that yeah. they've already started. Yeah. Is there a point where you untether them? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I, when I've done tethering a lot, I'll start saying to the dog as they're going to the mat, on your mat, because I already know they're going to go there. So that then that cue becomes the cue that says, go and lie on your mat. But look, I'm going to talk about just at the average household isn't going to highly train their dog to be 100% reliable on the mat. And when Nana comes and Auntie and three screaming children, the dog probably won't stay on the mat. Mm. Mm. Too much going on. Yeah. And, and just it's just a lovely way of going, no, no, no. Um, I want a little bit of control there with the dog. They've practiced it. It's not a yucky thing. It's not a punishment. It's just you saying, this is where I want you at the moment. And um, 
and you've reinforced that enough that the dog goes, oh, okay. My dogs accept that very, very easily. Yeah. And that sounds quite manageable. I think, you know, yeah. all of us can, can do that and yeah. obviously get, get quite a good result from it. Yeah, it's not too yeah. hard. Well, Julie, look, thank you so much for that advice and for your time. Love having you on the show and Thanks. no doubt we'll hear from you again. Well, look, I could do chapter. Chapter two next time. Okay. <laughs> You're wrong. Julie did say to me off air, I'm not going to be able to, you know, do this in about five minutes. It's a big topic for five minutes. She it, did very, very well. She certainly did. And look, that's given, you know, that's, that's information we can process mm. and, and, you know, some steps we can start with. So very good. Thank you, Julie Tolliday there. Now, Dr. Paul Connie from Buff Point, uh, she, her dog sadly passed away, and it's her daughter's dog who obviously spent a lot of time with this dog is grieving. So, doing behaviour, you know, um, like soiling on the floor, things yeah. that it normally wasn't doing. Is this all part of the dog grieving process? Yeah, and look, and certainly we do often underestimate the tight bonds that dogs in a group will form. Um, and when the, with the passing of dog, whether it be one of the older dogs in the group or even one of the younger dogs in the group, there will be a shift in the dynamics in a, in a household. So what dogs have done when they form their groups, we're, we're part of that social dynamic. So there's whoever's in the house and whatever dogs or cats or other pets are there are all part of that, that family relationship. Um, less like a wolf pack. There's no alpha, beta, delta. There's no sort of hierarchy per se. Oh, there isn't. But they all share a similar social social group. Dogs who are better at different tasks get given those tasks by the group. So they may look to be dominant at that task, but they're actually being elected by the group that we won't challenge you, you do that. Oh, so that can happen where you don't necessarily have to have a, a top dog. Correct, yeah. It's, it's often been misunderstood that, that we thought that domestic dogs were, were little wolves and, and certainly their social dynamics are not the same as a wolf pack. Okay. But with the grieving process, when um, a dog goes, and, and quite commonly this is the older dog in the family, particularly if it's an older female dog, um, there's often a situation where there is a void left by that passing. And all dogs, similar to their owners, um, feel that feel that loss and, and, and need to fill that void. Now, we do often see that grieving process manifest as elimination disorders. So dogs will eliminate in different areas that they haven't done before. Um, and it's just reaching out to say that I'm anxious and I don't feel safe. So often part of his grieving process isn't that I miss my loved one. It's also that I had another soldier in the group and that soldier is now gone. You've left me on my, my yeah. own. Yeah, and so there's a lack of safety. And so often, particularly with elimination disorders, if they're not wishing to eliminate outside as they used to and they only wish to do it inside, they're scared to eliminate outside. And it's about trying to desensitise them to that fear. Now, one of the simple ways for lots of dogs to be desensitised to a fearful backyard is for the rest of the group to spend as much time as they can in the backyard. So we have our breakfast outside, we have our lunch outside, we might read a newspaper outside. It doesn't need to be gameplay. It doesn't need to be that we're engaging the dog in any fashion. We're just showing that outside has all the same activities as inside and therefore has an equal safety um, sort of net around it. Okay. Yeah. So what you're trying to do is mimic your behaviours indoors, outside. So the dog realises, oh, the rest of the social group are relaxed here. I may be able to relax here now as well. Okay. Yeah. And so people that think, oh, you know, I should go get another dog um, to, to, so they've got a companion again, is this a good step or yeah, not Sarah, necessarily? Look, it, it, it's a really interesting question. And, and obviously I get this question asked to me a lot. Um it's difficult and it's different for every dog. So some dogs are missing a playmate 
And so obviously having another dog into the into that fold um, is another playmate, which is fantastic. If the animal is showing anxiety, however, introducing another animal can introduce another threat. Right. And so if you're already ah. scared of your environment and now you've got an unknown in that environment as well Could who is doing all sorts it. of things that I don't understand, it can throw petrol on that fire as well. So it, it's often a situation where if people are looking at getting another dog for a dog that they, they, they had themselves or have lost a pet, um, have that dog go to social catch-ups with your friend's dogs and see how the interactions are on their turf. So what you're looking for in those circumstances, is the dog engaging in play or is the dog engaging in sort of standing behind you and, and, and sheltering? Right. What that gives you an idea is about what the dog is seeking. Is the dog seeking a playmate or is the dog seeking safety? And that sort of indication can give you that heads up to say, well, look, maybe this is not the right time to bring a new dog in yet. We need to make this dog feel as safe as it can in its home environment so it's in the right space mentally for when a new dog arrives. That's really good advice. So I guess it's identifying whether, A, it's anxious because things have changed or, B, whether it is lonely and missing companionship and then, I guess, acting accordingly. And, And if it is anxiety, maybe trying to address that before introducing another uh, pet into the family. That's right. Particularly if you're thinking in, in bringing a puppy in, puppies are going to mimic what the other dogs in the group are doing to sort of ingratiate themselves to the group. So if the group is showing anxiety, they all start to suggest that anxiety is the right way to behave in this surroundings. So instead ah. of having one anxious dog, you then have two. Um, and that can be the real problem sometimes in, in reintroducing a new dog um, if the other dog isn't quite ready. Now, Paul, just on um, anxiety issues, mm. a, a question for me, by the way, if you do need to call or have a question, 49216216 is our number today. Now, I've got Gizzy, who's 15 at the end of this year, and I've noticed at night he's certainly, um, you know, he's he's deaf and yeah. he's going blind, and I'm assuming it's anxiety. When he sits, he wants to come up on our laps and sleep for cuddles, yep. but when he's on us now, he's constantly licking now at night. Yeah. He'll lick the lounge, he'll lick... Um, our clothes, our hand, and and it's it's quite distracting. Yeah. So is that because he's feeling uncomfortable? Because Sarah, it's I think dark? you're probably right. I think what's happening, you've got a couple of things there. Um, what dogs do by licking is bond themselves to each other. So when a new dog meets another dog, they'll often lick around their face, and what they're doing is they're doing what's called an appeasement behaviour, which is I'd like us to be friends. Let's see how this goes. Now, when they're doing it to people, what they're trying to say is, I'm a little nervous. I really appreciate you being here as my guardian. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lick, lick, lick. So how do I – do I ignore that? Do I pat him? Do I – Yeah, so what you want to do is is still have him feel safe. So often – the, the blocking that Julie mentioned before is a great way to stop a dog licking. But if a dog's licking because it's really, really anxious, we don't really want to add to that anxiety yeah. by saying the social group are going to shun you now. That's right. Um, so often if it's a, a young puppy who's just doing it because they feel they need to, blocking is the appropriate. So as you suggested, you would ignore, turn away, ignore the licking. In a situation with Gizzy where you've got an older dog who's unsure of their surroundings, 
often giving a replacement behavior is what you do. Yep. So if there's a favorite chew toy that they like, if there's a favorite blanket that they like, you bring that out. And so you've got that as a replacement. It's a good plan because he can lick his blanket, for example. Correct. That's what he wants to that's do. That's right. Yeah. So you you you, dis, you displace your arm or leg or hand with something else. So he's still meeting that criteria. He's still getting that behaviour done, but he's doing that in a way that's not interfering with your enjoyment of watching the TV or being on the lounge. That's a good one because I worry too with um, the the blocking method. He's obviously got cognitive decline. Correct. You know, is that going to even be effective on uh, you know an, it, an older it, it, dog? That's Correct. Scared yeah. and losing it a little bit. Yeah, look, um, you're very astute. And that often what we do think in these guys is we, we do undervalue how much age can affect those grey matters. Those brains are ageing just like our old brains get too. And some of these behaviours are not being stimulated by a conscious control. These are just unconscious behaviours that are being performed because they make the dog feel better. Yeah. And so often punishing or trying to sort of shun them from those just doesn't help. You're yeah. not, you're not actually, they're not actually able to learn because this is not a, a time period of cognition. Some they're great advice. Great advice. It's Pet Chat 49216216. And having a quick look at our uh, Dogs of the Week and talking about bonding and, and, and being uh, with companions in yeah. the pack, we've got Yuki and Sally. They are a gorgeous bonded pair and they are looking for their perfect forever home. Uh, Sally's eight years and Yuki's ten years. And is it Lotion? Mm-hmm. Yep, Lotion. Lotions. Lotions. Uh, lotions. I don't think I know that breed, but they're very cute. They look a bit like, um, like I don't know, a Maltese cross Shih Tzu type <laughs> thing, don't they? A little bit. Um, but look, they are looking for their home. Uh, they love mental stimulations. Uh, they prefer long walks. They are quite scared of other dogs. Uh, so look, they've got a few things there that um, you know, you'd need to make sure you can accommodate. If you do want more information, then please head to our website, 2NURFM.com and click on Dog of the Week and uh, see whether you can find them a home. They are a gorgeous pair. They're both looking at the, the camera in the photo and they're quite adorable. Now, Paul, a, a lot of people have uh, gotten new puppies. They have. Over the last couple of months. That's been cropping up a lot. Yeah, and a it's lot the of... puppy pandemic. It is. You've got one yourself. I did. I fell too. Oh, yep. How is your puppy going? She's good. She's good. The, the succulents aren't doing quite as well as we hoped, but, <laughs> but they've, they've moved to higher climates and the dog seems to be surviving, not having them there. So. Oh, that is fantastic. But look, it can be a shock to the system um, when, when you do introduce a puppy to the household. And I guess a big part of that is getting training in pretty much straight away. That's it. And I think what I want to really touch on base today is that um, I hadn't had a nude puppy for eight years. So we forget completely about what we need to do when those new dogs come into the household. Um, The puppy pads worked sometimes. The carpet worked most of the time. (laughs) Um, So really it's about trying to... um, as um, Julie was on before, it's about positive reinforcement with puppies. So you can scare a puppy very easily and you can get a puppy to do what you want by scaring it very easily. But what then happens is the puppy's bond with you is tenuous. What you want to do is have the puppy want to do things for you because they want to do that, Mm. not because they're scared of. Mm. Um, Now, Julie touched on beautifully about using treats. And fortunately for most breeds of dogs, treats work beautifully. To get your dog to uh, to, to sit, have your treat ready and have them lured to sit down by pushing the treat gently back towards their head, behind their head, so they're watching it over their head and their butt sits to the ground. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. generally it's about getting the dog to follow the lure of the treat and then receive the reward. Um, 
walking is a really tricky one because most people put their leads on their dogs and the dog suddenly just puts the brakes on and won't move at all. Right. Okay. Because you've got to learn to walk exactly. on the lead too. And, and their first instinct is when you pull forward is I'm going to pull back. Yes. So the lead is then actually forgotten. You put the lead on the ground and you just have a treat in your hand and the treat's next to your knee and you have the dog follow your knee as it moves by having the treat again luring the dog on the walk. Right. So you've dropped the lead. You've dropped the lead. The dog is following you because it's coming for the treat. The lead's still on though. We want them to get used to the fact that there is going to be this attached thing. Okay. So it's Um, dragging along. It's just dragging along. Okay. And then what you aim to do is you then pick up the lead and you're holding it gently in your hand. The dog's still following you because of the lure, but you've got the lead in your hand. So the dog feels there's some tension on that lead. Okay. So the most important when you're teaching lead walking is that the dog is following you because it wants to, not because the lead is dragging. I guess from the dog's point of view as well, it's quite disconcerting the first time you have something put around your neck and someone pull on it and it's making you do something involuntary. That's it. I liken it to if you put a, a tether on yourself, would you in any way move towards the person who's pulling you along? And yeah. the answer is no. Your initial thing would be resistance. I don't want to go where you're making me go. Especially when I guess a bond um, hasn't been Correct. developed between the you're owner a, and dog as well. That's it. You're a completely new commodity. And mm. so the dog needs to form this safety um, and trust with you. So that you're, they want to do the things because they know they're going to get praise from it and become more bonded to the group. It's all about this human-animal bond. So that's a biggie. So when you get your puppy, obviously there's a few things you want to tick off. Walking on the lead, obviously a big one. Absolutely. What are some other ones that we need to focus on when we get our And this, this again links back to Julie's comments earlier. It's about you want your dog to be able to stay in a spot. Okay. Okay. So when you've got someone coming to the front door before they even start the jump, if you can teach your dog to stay as you enter the the hallway to get to the door, the dog can't jump up because it's already got its command. It's got its request. It knows exactly what to do when that person enters the house. So stay is a very important one. Now, stay can be a little tricky, and often it's important to pick your time of training for stay. You don't decide to do your stay training when you've just arrived home from work and the dog's really excited. Yeah. You want to do the stay training when the dog has had some time to relax and is in the mind space where it can listen rather than in that mind space of let's play, let's play, I haven't seen you all day. Sure. So, um, And with stay, it's about you just have initially you get them to do their sit, you have your lure there, and you take a step back, reaffirm, stay, step back. If the dog breaks, you step forward. Oh, okay. okay. So if the, when, as soon as the dog breaks, it means that, that bit of training is stopped. Yep. That's the distance we know we can get to. And we just try and repeat that each time. Do you try to snatch up the treat before they get it? or? Well, they need to earn it. Yeah, right. Okay. So okay. in those circumstances where they may have broken the stay, you ask them to sit again and you pay the sit. They haven't been oh, paid okay. for the stay, but they've been paid for the sit. Okay. So once they've been eventually sat for a time period that you're okay with, and initially it may only be two seconds, good dog, praise, praise, praise. And treat. Okay. Now, as we touched on before, some work dogs will not be food motivated. Mm. Um, interestingly, poodles are not motivated by yeah. food sometimes too, and Cheryl probably can contest uh, attest to that. Um, often it's about using a, a, a clicker or uh, a squeaky toy or um, access to their favourite ball so that what they've done is they've, they've still won a reward for the behaviour but it is one that is meets their own motivational tools. So humans have different motivations. Yep. Um, um, 
as well as dogs, and it's finding which what motivates your dog best. There are some people who you think I'm going to use these liver treats for my kelpie, and they could throw treats all over the floor. But if they bring the ball out, then they've got the kelpie's focus, yeah, or, yep. the, or the frisbee, okay. or what have you. Use what works for your dog. In that the training techniques are generally all going to be very similar. But the motivation is what's going to get you over the line. Okay, so so at this point we've taught them or we're teaching them to stay. We're teaching them to walk on the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is there any? Is there another big one that we? Need? Yeah, so I'm sure all new puppy owners have had this one. They keep mouthing my hand. Ah, uh, because they're trying everything. They're testing they're... the world out by taste. They're oh. putting everything in their mouth. And lots of puppy games involve their mouths. Chewing. I had yeah. someone at training go, can you ask the vets how I stop my dog from chewing? Yeah. It's and healthy, so, by the way. Yeah. And, look, and, look, and, and chewing is a normal dog behavior. And what you don't want to do is teach your dog that you're not allowed to chew in my presence because what they'll then do is chew in your absence. Oh. They still want to get that chewing done. That's when the lounge they'll sneak, goes. Exactly. They'll sneak away. So encourage the chew. But what you do is, is you encourage the chew to what you want them to chew. Right. Let's chew the toy rather than the leg of that chair. Right. Let's chew this other um Kong ball rather than my new shoes. So toys are essential. Toys are uh, in essential training for for puppies and and to give them something to do. Correct, because you do. need some replacement to try and redirect that behaviour each time it's elicited. Because they're going to want to chew. So there's nothing we can do to stop the process. We just need to try and redirect the process to a more appropriate chew toy rather than our favourite possessions. So where are you at with your training with, with your girl? Oh, look, we're not as advanced as I would like. <laughs> uh, I, I think the, the, the lack is in the trainer, not in the trainee. Um, but look, we're, we're certainly, she now understands that the chewing is of the toys. Excellent. And a, 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 tr- a trick for us was also finding the toy that motivated her too. We didn't have, ah. she, she, I thought soft toys would be the, the best thing. She likes a hard chew. So it is trial and error. Trial and error. You know, it's yeah, like everything. Yeah. I'd squeak for a little lovely fluffy thing that I thought was perfect for her and she'd go and chew the cardboard box. I went, right, well, let's get a firm toy. Okay. And they're, they're the bee's knees. Paul, with all your training on um, animals and behaviour, are you doing a training? With yes. You? Are you yeah. are? And, and oh, well, good. Well, there's, there's, it's a team effort at home. <laughs> um, there, there are some rules that aren't followed by all the trainers in the home. Oh, not, not pointing <laughs> fingers at no, the No, but we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We are, we are learning to speak the same language, and she's learning the language from us. Beautiful. And that's Pet Chat for today. We will, of course, be back next week. 